Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Poiras Bargy to my Valerian Ishmael. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm, I'm suffering a bit of a cold, but I'm all good. I've also been dodging insults from Fulham fans all week, which has been fun. <laughs> Makes a change. I don't yeah, see exactly. what the difference is here to your normal routine. <laughs> well, on the show this week, we've got Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shore and View. Johnny, how are you? I'm not bad, lads. I'm not bad at all. How are you both? I'm all right, thank you. You've had some Sunday League controversy this morning, I understand. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> VAR needs to be in kids' football. <laughs> they need to roll it out right now. What was it? A, a ball that you thought crossed the line, but the other linesman didn't give it. Oh, I'm not. It's not even thought crossed the line. If it were any further over, it would have been in France. You know. It, <laughs> but you know, you, you have to take these things on the chin. It's it's all part about football, isn't it? That's the one thing I miss from Sunday League, just the <laughs> drama that happens in every game. Also with us is Omar Renane from that Millwall podcast. Omar, how's it going? Afternoon. Thanks, Ryan. All good, thank you. Wonderful stuff. Well, welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to run through all the games in the championship this past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson. Take for late right at the end. So Sheffield United managed to create some breathing space between them and the other playoff hopefuls by beating Cardiff 1-0. Johnny, how was it? I'm not going to lie, weren't the best performance in the world, but... I think with the players we actually have left, we're not going to get the best performances in the world. Uh, we're running on fumes. We're rolling out every player we can every week and they're spending 10 minutes on pitch before looking like they're out of steam. So I think we're more limping towards the playoffs than you know, breaking away and tearing off. It, but three points, it's all you can ask for. It's all you can do on the day. And as long as we keep doing that, I'll keep being happy. Yeah, and the players that you were talking about, the players missing, Billy Sharp's obviously been the key one. Yeah. Um, but the, the 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 amount of players who have been in the treatment room at Sheffield United these past couple of months, it's quite astonishing, isn't it? Has there been any speculation in the fan base as to why so many players have been injured recently? Uh, I think Paul Akinbottom said it quite specifically. It's the training pitch of doom. Uh, it's no lie that our training pitches and our training ground needs doing up immediately um there are some things that will be coming out in the athletics soon uh some videos which i can't mention because there's a gagging order on it but there, there are things that are going to come out which, that show exactly why players are getting injured i know that when chris wilder were here he wanted not a new training ground a new training pitch because of how bad the ones we're using are and they're causing soft tissue injuries and he never got that and that's carried on through two managers so if your training pitch is actually injuring players and then they're going out trying to play and picking up more injuries how are we meant to improve how are you meant to keep a, a solid team going? And then you've got Ekinbottom who can't even put a plan A out, never mind come up with a plan B. 
because every time he gets a plan B, that gets scuppered as well because of these injuries. I, I just think that it, it cries out everything that's currently wrong with everything behind the scenes at the team. Uh, and now it's starting to affect what's happening on the pitch. Uh, that can't continue. Hmm. If only you had a wealthy new owner. Uh, quick yeah. word on Cardiff, Justin. <laughs> Three losses in a row, but I'm seeing the Cardiff fan base is very split on whether they want Steve Morrison as manager next season. It's a big rebuild there, isn't it? And it's undeniably a risk having an inexperienced manager overseeing that, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sort of where the, uh, the Cardiff City fan base is, uh, is at the moment. I'm, I'm split. You've got to, yeah, he's, exper- he's inexperienced and you, you're giving him the um, you're giving him the role of overseeing this massive, uh, massive turnover, massive change. You know, players, players are going to go, players are going to come in. There's got to be this style of play change as well. Um, it's a big, big job that, you know, Mick McCarthy struggled last season. Nick Warnock, Neil Harris have both struggled as as managers at, at Cardiff. And you're asking an inexperienced guy like Steve Morrison to come in and and change the club completely. It's, it's a difficult job, and I have question marks over whether he's the right man. But I think he at least deserves the opportunity after guiding Cardiff to relative survival this season. Johnny, let's talk the blades. Very much in the driving seat for what seems to be the final place in the playoffs. How confident are you of getting there? And if you do, how confident would you be about actually getting promoted? Uh, I'm not very confident on either. I'm more confident that we'll go into the playoffs. Um, I wouldn't say I'm even that confident about that. Uh, as I said, it's we've got QPR and Fulham left. QPR away, we absolutely battered them at home. But away at Loftus Road, it's always a different prospect. And then champions Fulham on the last day. We've already beat, so it is doable. But they'll want to go out on the Lord Mayor's Parade, won't they? They'll want to really, really ham it up. So Millwall have the perfect opportunity to jump us, I think, uh, in these last two games, as long as they can do their part, which I'm hoping they don't. If we get into the playoffs, we're not going up. We're Sheffield United. We never go up in the playoffs. It's it's written into the law of the EFL. Sheffield United, thou shall not be promoted to the Premier League via the playoffs. It is... I've been to the new Wembley three times, including FA Cup semi-final. I've been to a league playoff, uh, league playoff final at Wembley twice, old Wembley, and the Millennium Stadium. And I've seen us score zero goals in open play. So I think that pretty much sums up how confident I am for the playoffs if we get into them. Do I want to go up? Absolutely. Does my bank balance and does my heart really want the playoffs? Maybe not. Well, this is all obviously coinciding with a potential takeover. Yeah. Bramall Lane, American businessman Henry Maurice. Have I pronounced that right? Uh, I'm hoping it's Maurice because then we can sing that uh, Pina Colada song. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's reportedly had an offer accepted for the club. How are fans feeling about it? A bit of a mixed bag. A lot of people don't think he exists. Uh, a bit like <laughs> Newcastle fans didn't want to put a bid in there because he's the most quiet billionaire in the world. Um, to be honest with you, if he was taking over from Kevin McCabe, back when the Prince first got involved, I'd be a little weary. But with the ownership we've got now, I, I think I'd take anybody taking over the club, uh, with the exceptions of a few. I, I wouldn't particularly want like Vincent Tan at the club or anybody like that. But I, I think you've got to look at it. The fact is, some people say, oh, it's better the devil you know. Well, it's not. It's not the better devil you know, because look how badly the club's been run behind the scenes. How long do you stick with that before you take a gamble? And that's what it is. It is a gamble. You look at two very different owners from Thailand, the the guys who run Leicester City and the guys who run Sheffield Wednesday. 
come from the same country, but they're two very different people and, and the clubs are run very differently. So all this palaver about, oh, American owners, that's not going to be good for the club. Well, tell that to Liverpool. Do you know, it's just because they've got a bad rep at a few clubs doesn't mean that every owner's the same. So me personally, and I can't speak for every Blades fan, I'm dying for the deal to get over the line. Uh, some are a bit more weary. I think they've uh, seen it all before. Uh, we once had a, an Italian owner coming called Carlo Colombotti. I think he owned us for about two weeks before he got ousted. So we have seen it all before. Fair enough. Birmingham 2, Millwall 2. God, I bet the stewards enjoyed that one, didn't they? The result leaves the Lions three points off the top six with two games remaining. Omar, I feel like if Millwall were going to get into the playoffs, this was a game they had to win. Do you agree? I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I was really anxious ahead of yesterday, travelling up to Birmingham looking forward to it and I mean I feel like we shot ourselves in the foot obviously drawing 2-2 we managed to get a, obviously a last minute penalty for a phobie which was neatly taken but there's a couple of games in recent like in our last three or four games where I feel like we've kind of not picked up points we should have done I think Preston was a good opportunity for us last Friday as well um, we drew one all there at, at Deepdale and it's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a shame really but I mean yeah it was a good away then nonetheless and we're still kind of in the hunt so it's just great for me all to be in and around it to be honest because we're not often on the championship yeah, same question that I asked Johnny then. If Millwall actually did get into the playoffs, do you hold much hope of you actually winning them? Um, I think I, I actually would be quite confident because I think you've got the factor of just Mill being in the playoffs in the first place would be a bit of a conundrum, I think, for the spectators to kind of uh, revel in and watch. I think it's, it's more because it's the hope that gets you, obviously. But I think also you throw into the, the mix of it of like a full house den on a Tuesday night, potentially, in the playoffs. You know, not every team's going to fancy that. On football ability-wise, we probably aren't going to be a favourites if we were in that position, but you could dream, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Say Millwall don't get promoted this season, then. Do you think you'll be able to have another crack at the playoffs next season? Because this is what Millwall have done for the past few seasons, isn't it? They've come close quite a few times now. But obviously, it's going to be difficult considering Jad Wallace is leaving, Afobi's only on loan, as is Dan Ballard, Ollie Burke as well. It's going to take a lot of clever recruitment to go again next season for Millwall, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of the uh, words from the club and like especially from our chairman Berylson, it's this summer ahead is going to be a big recruitment summer. We've just brought back Alex Aldridge, who was the uh, director of football at Stoke City, and he's come back to us. Um, and I think there's a little bit of still uncertainty, believe it or not, with the manager. I feel like he's, I think his contract's up this summer, um, and. I feel like he didn't. He wasn't best pleased from what we, you know. If you read the press articles and stuff about the appointment of the director of football coming back in, Alex Aldridge, and the club feel like they want to kind of stamp a, a kind of an identity on their recruitment going forward. Instead of let's be honest, Rarick signed a lot of players that he's worked with before, and it's kind of we're putting a lot of the onus on the manager. Instead, now I think they want to try and move to a way that if he wasn't there in two or three years' time and it was someone else, there's still an identity to the club. Um, so it's going to be a big summer. Um, it, it's kind of a roll of the dice, like you say. A lot of players out of contract. Wallace is gone, potentially. Um, and like you said, a lot of players on loan. So it's exciting, but at the same time, it's quite anxious because this is why it feels like a missed opportunity if we don't get there this year. But, you know, mm. we'll see. Interesting. Finally, Justin, on Birmingham, Lee Bowyer says this draw has shut a few people up who questioned whether the players are playing for him. As he continues to be a man under pressure, do you agree that this draw has silenced the critics? It couldn't have got much worse than a 6-1 defeat away at Blackpool, could it? Um, so perhaps it does go some way to keeping some vocal critics quiet. But if you look at the defending for the first goal, 
for example, that was a pretty much a carbon copy of how Birmingham had been conceding goals all season. Um, and I thought they were unlucky with the penalty because there were a lot of bodies on the ground. I don't think you could fairly give a penalty for three or four people being flat on the floor. But nonetheless, it was still there were still a lot of errors um, in this Birmingham team that were that had been apparent for for a long time. Johnny and Omar, thanks for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are off for a trip around the grounds and we'll kick things off with Barnsley, who have been officially relegated to League One after losing 2-0 away at Huddersfield. This was then followed by the departure of boss Poy Asbargi by mutual consent. So, an uncertain time at Oakwell. Carlo van der Watering is from the Barnsley podcast Red Report. Carlo, your thoughts on Asbargi leaving? I think the writing uh, has been on the wall for quite some time. Obviously, Barnsley haven't done very well at all this season. And I think it was uh, it was felt that he, he's had long enough to prove his credentials. Now, part of us thinks, you know, the, the plays he had to work with, the summer signings, uh, you know, maybe the lack of strength in depth. But I think tactically is where he's been. Uh, he's, 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 he's just, you know, not really proven himself. Um substitutions late on in the game. I remember losing and in the 89th minute he brought Victor Adebayejo on in the press conference said, I brought him on to win it. 89th minute when you're losing, really? So, um, no, I think both him and Shop have been, uh, you know, uh, wrong people really to, to lead Barnsley. So I wish him all the best and I'm sure he's a really, really nice guy, but it was just never felt it was a good fit. Uh, maybe a step too far for him, but we wish him well as Martin Devaney takes over in temporary charge. Yeah, Carlo, Barnsley have gone down this route of appointing managers from abroad over the past few years. Do you think the club will now go a different route and start appointing English managers who have more experience of the Football League? I think that's what the majority of fans are hoping for. If you look at the appointments of this uh, this this board or these owners, Stendhal, you know, did really well last of the season and a little bit. Um, Struber, you know, kept us up the big escape. Valerian Ismail did really well a season, then went, and then we've had Shop and uh, Asbagi this season. And I, I think it's felt amongst. Barnsley fan, especially after the last two appointments that have just haven't worked out, is has there been a change in uh, the recruitment process? You know, why did the first three work out and these last two were just completely out of their depth? Um, is, is is financials anything to do with it, or do we maybe want to pay less? Is it seen as a springboard for an uh, an up and coming foreign manager to, to prove themselves? But the Championship is very hard league to do that in. I think majority of the fans would like to see an English manager with the knowledge of the league. I think that's really, really, really important. The knowledge of the league and English football. Whether that will be Martin Devaney, who's obviously almost Barnsley born and bred, played for us, don't know. Um, but I think the hope is that a manager will be appointed that has a better knowledge of the leagues, the teams and, and English football overall. Yeah, so with Barnsley officially going to be in League One next season... What needs to change at the club for Barnsley to bounce back at the first time of asking? I think we need to look at the owners. The owners own seven, or a stake in seven football clubs. On Friday night, two of those got relegated. Um, Asbjerg, another team that they've got, is on their fourth head coach. All the other teams are either near relegation uh, places or sort of like low mid-table. Their data... Uh, driven approach to the recruitment of players and coaches. You have to wonder, you have to wonder, is that working? And I think especially this last season, if you look at the signings that were made during the summer, Ulare, Leary Seker and Josh Benson. I know Josh Benson's injured, but when he's been playing, he's not that the impact that we probably wanted. 
Olare never really got going and he's back in Belgium on loan. Leahy Saker played here and there, but they've never had any impact. So I think uh, we need to look at what went wrong, why it went wrong, and what can the owners do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Because Barnsley to them is a project, um, but to the fans, it's a lot, lot more. This is Barnsley. This is the north of England. And for a town like this, the football club is the one shining light for many, many, many people and fans. And it just felt disconnected with the owners that want to take Barnsley a different way than maybe the club deserves. So I think that's what really, really needs to be looked at. Cheers, Carlo. Always lovely to hear from Carlo, even though that might be the last time for a while, Justin. But mm. as Bargy leaving, not a huge surprise, is it? How would you sum up the job he's done there? Oh, it's it's like you know, trying trying to describe something that isn't quite his fault. It's trying to. It felt like as Bargy was trying to decorate a house with a pencil. Um, that's what it felt like. He he came in and he didn't have anything that he needed to do what he needed to do. I, I felt like he had the credentials to do it, um, but the squad just wasn't up to scratch, and it's it's gone through two managers this season, which which goes to show that there wasn't enough quality in the team. You're relying on the likes of Styles, Hellick, Anderson, Woodrow, and Morris, uh, and Collins in goal to to do the business for you um, consistently, uh, and it it just it just lacked quality. There just wasn't enough there, and unfortunately, that's the reason why Bosley have gone down, but also the reason why is Bargy hasn't been able to do the job that he, he needed to come in and do. Yeah, he got a bit of life out of a side that looked dead and buried. So he deserves yeah. credit for that, I think. But overall, I struggle to bring myself to say he did anything better than an all right job. And I think even saying an all right job is quite mm-hmm. um, generous, to be quite honest. Yeah. When he came in, Barnsley still had a realistic chance of staying up. And it took far too long for him to get a tune out of these players. And mm-hmm. even then, the tune was only quite a short while, wasn't it, where it actually lasted. So would yeah. a better manager have done much better? I'm not sure, but I don't think we'll see Mr. Asbargi getting a job again at this level. I can say that for sure, because it's he, he didn't really pull up any trees, did he? And he, hmm. he just made a bad situation slightly less worse than it actually was. <laughs> well, Barnsley, of course, now also officially relegated to League One. Breaks my heart to remember that we were talking about them in the playoffs this time last year, Justin. Mm-hmm. But... Going down would seem to be on the cards for quite some time. Right now, how do you expect them to do in League One next season? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think the, the the obvious answer is I, I really don't know. They've got a lot of problems that they need to iron out. If you go back to last summer, um, they didn't get anything right. Dane Murphy left. He went to Forest. Paul Conway came in. was a disastrous job in his, his stint as CEO. Um, Ishmael left. Didn't replace him. Um Mauer and DK left didn't replace them either and now you're, you're looking at a board who has got things wrong for the last 12 months you're relying on a board getting things right um, but whatever the case the next appointment is is absolutely huge it really is but where they go I don't know will they go will they dip into the foreign market again I don't think they should and again they've got to try and identify an English based coach or an, um, a coach based in the UK who's able to align themselves with their beliefs is what I'm trying to say yeah well there's not just uncertainty about the next manager but who's actually going to be playing for the club next season Mm -hmm. because you've got to remember you've got Quino on loan he's been their best player in the second half of the season and he won't be Mm -hmm. there next season Um, Bassi in midfield as well he won't be there and then you've got some of the more permanent players as well the likes of Callum Stiles I think clubs will be looking at how well he did last season think there's a player there just needs getting out of him um and then the likes of Carlton Morris as well, Anderson, Hellick, 
all good players at championship level, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And also Barnsley's hierarchy have essentially made it very clear in the past that if they get a decent offer for any of these players, Mm -hmm. they're going to sell them. They're not going to hold out for better offers, are they? So if you take out those players, the lone players and the ones I've just mentioned, the group of players left over are pretty meh, aren't they? There isn't much else (laughs) there who I'd look at and go... Okay, you're definitely going to get this club back into contention for promotion next season. They've shown they can recruit well in the past, so maybe they'll do that again. But is worth mentioning this: uh, the job they've done this season in recruitment has been pretty atrocious. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not holding out much hope for that. Also, League One's a very competitive league with some big sides and others which are very well run. So right now, I struggle to see Barnsley bouncing back straight away Mm -hmm. I've got to say but let's talk Huddersfield Justin this was an important game for them as well because their playoff place has now been secured with their win over Barnsley and taking a step back for a sec that is a massive achievement isn't it it really is and I can't speak any more highly of Huddersfield than I already have done this season Um, you've got to take into account their budget the way they've had to recruit they've had to be smarter um, because of because of their budget, and they've showed that they don't need um, an expensively assembled squad. Uh, it, it comes down to smart recruitment, good coaching, and a, and a good cohesive unit that they've got. Um, and I say that the special thing about this side, the really special thing that I think has perhaps gone unnoticed, is it's, it's not built around one player. Um, you can take Lewis O'Brien out of the team, for example, and and, and put in either John Russell with Jonathan Hogg or Scott High could come in, and they can still come in and do a job. And it, isn't detrimental. Danny Ward dropped out of the side. Jordan Rhodes came in and is filled in brilliantly. Levi Cole's been injured, but it's not looked like they've been missing him. Um, same with Matty Pearson. So it's kudos to Corbran and what he's built um, in that Huddersfield team. And I think you've got to doff your hats to Phil Hodgkinson for making that appointment as well, because it was a brave decision sacking the Cowleys to bring in Corbran as well. Well, at numerous points across the course of the season, I've had my doubts over whether Huddersfield would manage to stay at the top of the table because of things like the squad being thin in places and they weren't as well-rounded in certain areas as other sides around them. And they also dropped off in the second half of last season. But I'll hold my hands up and admit I got it (laughs) wrong because they've just continuously um, defied expectations, haven't they? And when you keep in mind, Huddersfield finished 20th last season and were pretty hopeless. For them to be in the playoffs just a year later is a phenomenal turnaround, especially defensively. They had the worst defensive record in the division last season, didn't they, by quite a Mm -hmm. distance. And now they've got one of the best in the division. It's brilliant, absolutely sensational. And the players who are still there from last season, they've stepped up a level. The recruitment has been absolutely spot on. And this has been all down to Carlos Corbran, who is without a doubt a contender for manager of the season, isn't he? I've constantly praised him across the course of the season because even even if Huddersfield managed to finish top off it would have been a pretty impressive achievement considering what I was just saying about them last season but for them to you know get in the playoffs may even Mm -hmm. finish fourth the way things are going (laughs) maybe even third is pretty impressive so yeah Carlos Corbran amazing job that he's done this season final bits on this game a stat from the legend that is Richard Jolly on Twitter if Huddersfield don't lose their last two games by a combined total of at least 13 goals they will finish a league season in the top two divisions with a positive goal difference for the first time since 2000 which I thoroughly enjoy hearing just now. Wow, yeah. Peterborough have also been relegated to League One after they lost 1-0 at home to Forest. what a cross by Brennan Johnson for the goal, Justin. That was pinpoint. And he's mm-hmm. now got double figures for goals and assists. The third player to do it this season, which I always think is a really, really impressive achievement. We'll talk more about Forrest and their ongoing promotion push in a sec. But Peter Brugger, a good go here. 
wasn't quite enough though and we won't be seeing them next season. I continue to be quite hot on them having a good chance of getting back at the first time of asking though, Justin. What about you? Yeah, I'd be really excited as a Peterborough fan, strangely, with Grant McCann at the helm because in his short spell so far, they've been absolutely brilliant. I know we pointed out a stat the other week that I think they, I can't remember what it was, but they scored something like a third of their goals this season under Grant McCann um, and he's only been in charge for less than sort of eight, eight or nine games. Um, it was somewhat ridiculous like that, but he's, he's starting to get the best out of the players as well. They looked sharp in this game, but it was just a little bit of quality that was missing to overcome a, a really really good side in this division um, you look at Ricky J Jones for example he looked sharp he could have put Peterborough 1-0 up um, before Brennan Johnson uh, delivered that ball into to, um, Surridge but yeah it's it's. I wouldn't say it's a good time to be a Peterborough fan but I'd be certainly more optimistic now than I would have been three or four months ago oh absolutely I think I was saying the other day that taking into account this game Peterborough have won more games in the last seven than they had done in their previous 23 yeah so it's a clear turnaround not just in terms of the performances that you see on the pitch but also the results as well and they gave Forrest a game here not many teams have been able to do that over the past Mm -hmm. few weeks so yeah Peterborough looking much better than they were earlier in the season but Forrest continue to just tick along very nicely don't they seven league wins out of their last eight just five points off Bournemouth now say Justin what we're saying (laughs) <laughs> what are we saying I, yeah it's it's still a big ask it's still a massive ask isn't it but as long as they keep putting bo- points on the board then then I don't see why not and it's the clean sheets that's that's doing it for me they've got four in the last six um, and that's really impressive so as long as they keep getting clean sheets they're not going to lose any games between now and the end of the season um, and they've got the ability to, to nick games especially against the big team so got Fulham and, and Bournemouth for in their last three isn't it um, so I don't see why not there's some big games I think they they could do it it's a big ask as I say but I'm 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 optimistic I'm not on the fence on this one yeah if you said five points off with four games to go to a Forest fan a couple of weeks ago when it became quite apparent that they could run it close to the top two I think every Forest fan would have taken it definitely mm-hmm. um, I think a lot depends on Tuesday night Forest are away at Fulham Bournemouth away at Swansea if Forest can equal or better Bournemouth's results, then it's game on, baby. Anything else? <laughs> maybe not. So Tuesday is huge. I'm just thinking about that mathematically because if Bournemouth get a win, Forest draw, the gap grows, doesn't yeah, it? And yeah, when it you does. think when you think seven points with three games remaining, it's difficult to see, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot depends on Tuesday night. Let's talk Bournemouth then. They scored a 97th minute penalty to draw one all with Fulham. Both goals were controversial. We'll start off with the pen. Marco Silva was sent off after showing his disapproval with the decision. It was Harry Wilson fouling Adam Smith. Obviously, Harry Wilson, a former Bournemouth player as well. What did you think of that one, Justin? Yeah, as a stonewaller. Harry Wilson boots Adam Smith into the air, doesn't he? <laughs> like, let's be honest. I know Adam Smith's very good at buying fouls from referees, but I think even... Even Roy Keane in his like skinhead Roy Keane would have gone down under that challenge. I'm not as sure as you, but I'm not saying it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. I, I'm I, I don't really know. It, it was difficult to see because the camera angles that I saw weren't great. Um but for Marco Silva to be I think he was just annoyed at the timing that it was given, wasn't it? Because mm, you've got to be absolutely yeah. certain when it's that late on in the game. And then the other controversial decision was Mitchell Richards' goal. His header was saved by Mark Travers and it looked like it was just a good save, but the referee said it actually crossed the line. After the game, Scott Parker said it did not look like the whole ball was over the line. Maybe the technology was faulty or the camera not lined up properly. I don't know. 
Um, Justin, any thoughts on that? Yeah, he's chatting absolute bollocks, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> it was over the line. The technology backs it up. There's um, uh, there's like a three minute, three millimeter um, cushion. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah, there's there's like a three millimeter cushion, so it's definitely over the line. The the replays aren't forgiving, but the actual technology ratifies it. It was it was over the line. Please, please pipe down, Scott Parker. Do you think this is the the words of a man who's slightly nervous about the results of his club? Uh, I think he's um, Lee Bowie is very good at it. He, Lee Bowie tries to. It almost feels like he's trying to buy supporters and not sympathy out from outside of the club, but try and get some understanding as to why the, the game wasn't won um, when it may sh- when it should have been won, although it's not points dropped in this case for, for, for Bournemouth. But I think he's trying to buy some sympathy from outside of the club uh, and within the club maybe. But yeah, it was it was over line and perhaps he is trying to dust off some of that pressure that's currently on his shoulders because, yeah, it was... It was it was over the line. There's no yes or no maybes or anything about it. It was it was over the line. I can see where he's coming from because it is. It must be just a millimeter over the line. It is so yeah. ridiculously close, isn't it? Um, but it's just one of them, isn't it? Whereas when you see the replay, you can see it is over the line according to the watch. But whatever the case is, a point shared between the two sides. And we said on Thursday that a point would have been a good result for Bournemouth. I think it's ended up being the case too. What we have also learned from this game is that Fulham aren't taking their foot off the pedal, despite securing promotion, which is great news for Bournemouth, considering Forest are coming up next for Fulham. Yes, uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult game for Fulham. And, I mean, you can... Not taking the foot off the gas, I mean, given that Marcus Silva was sent off in the 98th minute, I think you can you can come away and think, yeah, they, they still really want that title because Bournemouth still have a very slim chance of, of, of trying to overtake them although I don't think it will happen but yeah it's um, it, is, it is a good aspect to have in this sort uh, at this stage in the season for Marco Silva to be that incensed at that point in the, uh, in the game um, it just goes to show that he does care they do care they are trying to push for that title win when they could easily as you say take the foot off the gas One final thing I just want to point out Dominic Solanke's got 27 goals now for the season which in a normal season without a certain Serbian mm-hmm would be a remarkable tally. And keep in mind, prior to this season, only two players had scored 30 goals or more in a championship season. Four games left. Entirely possible for him to get plus 30, <laughs> which I think is pretty remarkable for Solanke, yeah. isn't it? Uh, just in less of a break after that, we'll talk about Luton's playoff push and Middlesbrough's as well. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So Luton's playoff place is just about secure if they drew one all with Blackpool. Some controversial refereeing decisions here as well. Luton had a goal disallowed for not much at all. Mm-hmm. That'll go down as one of the poorest decisions of the season for me. I think it was Keogh who went down, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, after just getting a nudge. It made it look dramatic, <laughs> but I don't really see what the referee saw there, Justin. I think it was the linesman who gave it, um, and the linesman apparently apologised to Nathan Jones. Which, fair enough, he's he's taken accountability. But if two points are the difference between Luton finishing in and out of the playoffs, then it's unlikely. But if that is the case, then yes, yeah, it's, it's not it's not quite good enough. Um, but yeah, it's it's really really poor. 
but at least didn't lose. I think that's one one of the positives you can take from it. Um, and he did show Endeavour to keep pushing towards towards the end of the game. And good thing as well is Adebayo looked like he was back in, in really good form as well. It's worth mentioning Blackpool were also denied a penalty, which more looked more like a penalty than it wasn't a penalty. So mm. I suppose it evens itself out. But Luton just about there, aren't they, with the top six? They need just two more points from the last two games. Although if Middlesbrough fell to win on Wednesday, then they actually just need the one more point. So they're nearly booked in, aren't they? They, they nearly are. I think the only thing is they are starting to look a little bit tired and they are starting to look a little bit impacted by those injuries, which is something we brought up. Um, the other day when we were sort of questioning as to whether or not Luton have got the or I was questioning whether or not Luton have got the capabilities to finish the top six I think they will but you can tell that the squad is 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 threadbare now it is down to to, to bare bones um, but it was still a, it was still a decent performance from a team who who are lacking in in numbers in terms of the squad as well so hats off to, to Nathan Jones for still getting the team motivated and going and, and organising discipline because it could have easily been uh, could have easily been a defeat because I thought Blackpool played really well. Well, it seemed quite likely for a while um, that Luton are going to get into the playoffs. And as we say, they are just about there. But it is easy to forget how big an achievement it would be for Luton mm-hmm. Town to finish in the top six. But we could talk about that more in depth when it's actually secure, which looks like it should be confirmed in the near future. Blackpool, one win in seven for them, which is quite surprising. Bizarrely, the final three games of the season are against the three sides who have already been relegated. So they've got a great chance to nail down a top half finish, which would also be a great achievement. Or alternatively, they could just finish above Preston, which would also greatly appease all Blackpool fans. <laughs> Middlesbrough fell to win for the fifth game in a row after drawing one all away at Swansea, a game with plenty of chances for both sides, but it doesn't do much at all for Middlesbrough's playoff hopes. They've got a game in hand on Millwall and Sheffield United. That's on Wednesday night at home to Cardiff. I think at this stage, it's as simple as they've got to win that game, haven't they, if they're going to finish in the playoffs? Well, they've got to win that game and they've got to win the rest of the games as well they've got to accumulate all uh, wins from their final three games to have any chance because they are relying on Sheffield United dropping points as well um, for them to pip them so yeah there's a lot of pressure on, on Middlesbrough to get results essentially which have been few and far between recently and I think the worst worst scenario that they've got at the moment or the worst worst factors that are creeping into the team is just their inability to create chances which is which has dogged them all season um you know it's not just recently that's been the case but the amount of chances they had in this game to go one nil up then two nil up and three nil up uh well, well not three nil up, but putting two or three chances away they could have been home and hose before swansea got themselves into the game well if Middlesbrough don't get in the playoffs i don't want to say it's an underachievement because i don't think it is i just want to emphasize i don't think it is an underachievement but i think it would be underwhelming for certain. Um, mm-hmm. It was always going to be a big turnaround for Wilder to get Middlesbrough promoted in his first season, but it's clear that the hierarchy there wants to do it this season because of their business in January, you know, yeah. spending millions on the following Balogun deal and also getting the likes of Connolly, for example, Riley McGree as well. So they were looking at this thinking, this is a great chance for us to go up and it's looking increasingly likely that they won't because two wins in their last nine not how I expected them to be doing at this stage of the season, especially when they were seemingly getting better and better before, but instead they seem to actually be regressing at this point, Justin. Mm -hmm. And when you take into account the speculation linking Wilder with the Burnley job, which isn't going away, despite whatever Wilder tries to say after games, 
It's a strange old time for Borough. I don't really know how I feel about them right now. Who knows, if they win the last three games of the season, that might all change. But I'm not really sure how I feel about them this season and even for the future for that matter. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but I think we've got to consider those as well. It's not quite a wilder team, no matter how well he's got them drilled. Um, this is certainly a new Warnock team, isn't it? With a couple of wilder specials, uh, shall we say. Um, you know, he, he's a type of manager who doesn't, he can't really recruit in a January. He needs a summer and a preseason to to really get his philosophies across and the players that he wants in. So we've got to consider that as well. There has been some unrest in terms of the goalkeeping situation as well, which which hasn't helped. And they have had injuries defensively that also haven't helped. So there's a lot of variables here that have impacted Middlesbrough's ability to get into that top six. But I do agree, it is perhaps underwhelming should they not finish in the top six because of what they did in January. Um, underachievement probably not um, just just disappointing because of where they were and where they were going at one point this season mm, definitely Reading are now officially safe despite getting thumped 3-0 away at Hull a strange day because while it's obviously good for Reading that they're staying up I suppose this game is a stark reminder that there's a lot of work to be done over the next few months isn't there yeah, they guaranteed safety in the most Reading way possible didn't they <laughs> it's uh, getting absolutely panned against a team who have won one in uh, a long time won one home game in however many games I, yeah yeah, I don't have the stat for me but they, yeah, they're not very good at home hall um, <clears throat> and Reading have been much better away so yeah it's, it's a disappointing result but um, yeah it's it's a good job from Paulins I think as as we mentioned they were in free fall um, under Paunovic and fair play to Ince for getting the team back to basics getting rid of that ticky tacker crap and uh, yeah getting the team playing football the way it should be played which is um, the Paul Ince way. The Paul Ince way. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way of what describing is that it. Way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what is that way? But yeah, no, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a positive day. But as you say, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. A lot of work. A hell of a lot of work. Um, because as we keep saying on this show, if you're picking teams who are going to be in relegation battles next season, I think Reading are definitely the one who I'm eyeing mm-hmm. up the most. Uh, another little stat for you, the lowest points tally that a championship side has ever had and stayed up is Bolton in 2017-18. They had 43. Reading are currently on 41. So they could definitely beat that record considering there's only two games remaining and would go to set, go to show that there are three teams below Reading who have either been really poor or have had points deductions this season. It says a lot about um, how how low the bar was for the team staying up this season, I suppose. But Hall made it two wins from two and didn't even have to wear their away kit for this one. Keen Lewis Potter scored two of the goals. He's, of course, been linked with moves away here, Justin. This was another sign of the quality he possesses for someone so young. He's such a marvellous talent. The question is, can you see any chance of him actually staying in a Hall shirt next season? Maybe, because of how ambitious Ilikali is, the Hull owner. I think his... The way the way he wants Hull to be and where he wants him to go, I think he could perhaps convince Lewis Potter to stay on for another year if they don't get a bid. But Hull have got all of the cards in their hands at the moment, which is a really really good thing to be, or a really good place to be, um, because they're not desperate for money like they were under the Alums. They do have a, an owner who's willing to back the club, um, and you don't want to sell your best players despite willing to back the club. So, um, and uh, yeah, it's. It will be a struggle because of how good he's been and bids have come in for him and, and they have been rejected previously. I think Leicester were one of the clubs that were one of those clubs, yeah, one of the clubs that bid for him. Um, 
but not, no doubt he's got the talent and ability to be a top, top player um, in the Championship, or he has been anyway. So, yeah, it'll be a, an interesting summer ahead. He's a de- he's going to be a Premier League player, isn't he, at some point? And I feel like if if all are fortunate enough to keep him next season, then boy, oh boy, they've got a serious player on their hands. Plus, Ilicarli's been bigging up some of the players that they want to bring in this summer. If they do that, that'll be marvellous, and Lewis Potter will be the player who they build that all around. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I'd say I'm doubtful whether he will stay, but I think he's you'd only be stopping him from making that step of season sooner, if you see what I mean. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd like to see him stay because I think um, it'll be fantastic in the Championship next season. Bristol City won 3-1 away at Derby. and Vyman scored against his former club, a nicely taken goal by Antoine Semenyo as well. Derby, a much different side here. They made six changes, giving plenty of youngsters a chance for this one now that relegation's been secured. Do you think that's the right way to go about it? Because I suppose you're looking ahead to the next season, aren't you, with players who are more than likely going to be at the club next season as opposed to ones who probably won't. Yeah, there was a, there was a heavy debate on the radio about it, which was, I was a bit confused by. I think it does make sense in some in some aspects. And I think as well as that, you don't want your key assets that you can sell to get injured in case you do need to sell them. Um, so there might be there might be some thinking behind that. Um, but I think blooding some of the youngsters who may be involved next season is is absolutely the right thing to do because we have no idea where Derby are going to be. So ensuring that they do have some semblance of a squad to pick from next season, yeah. I think, yeah, trying them out and seeing what they are capable of is the right thing to do, yeah. Bristol City up to 17th with this win. Stoke 1, QPR 1. It's the derby between teams who are fighting for the playoffs but are now fighting for 12th place. I tell you what, Justin, Stoke have had a bit of a turnaround, haven't they? Five wins from seven now. It's not bad at all, is it? Um, anything you've got to say on this game? I, I thought QPR were really poor. Um, the game finished 1-0 because of Westwood in the QPR goal. Actually, you know, one player I think needs to be pointed out that we haven't given a lot of praise to this season is Jacob Brown. He's been brilliant for Stoke this season. He's a player that I've sort of focused on quite a lot. Um, and yeah, as I say, we, we've neglected to praise him. He scored his 13th for this season. He's probably been Stoke's most consistent player this season and he's perhaps been in that shadow of the likes of Tyrese Campbell uh, and Nick Powell, the, you know, the, the the players who get a lot of a lot of credit. Um and he's he's deserved a lot more this season than than what the team has given back, if that makes sense. Considering Stoke have been so painfully painfully inconsistent across mm-hmm. the course of the season as well. Um, the fact he has managed to consistently provide a source of goals is very positive, isn't it? Because I think he was one of those players as well who Stoke fans at the start of the season weren't too convinced by. Yeah. But he's actually been really good, hasn't he? Um, yeah. And maybe with other players around him staying fit as well, he may have scored even more and been an even more important player for Stoke. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's, he's had a really good season, hasn't he? I don't think anyone can deny that. West Brom nil, Coventry nil. West Brom missed a last-minute penalty here. As dramatic as it gets. Uh, again, anything you want to say on this one, Justin? <laughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a dead rubber game. But um, yeah, another good performance from Coventry. Really excited to see what they do next season. West Brom... Big rebuild, big, big rebuild. A lot of chances missed here again from West Brom, which is, I think, it's just a cut and paste for many games they've had this season. And then the final game of this weekend is Preston v Blackburn, the Lancashire derby. That's on Monday night. So we'll talk about that game on Thursday's episode. Blackburn need a win, really, to keep their playoff hopes alive. Now it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news and Sheffield United look like they're close to being taken over. The Sheffield Star says they've accepted a £115 million bid from American businessman Henry Maurice. Not sure if I pronounced that right, but there you go. He'd previously tried to buy Newcastle, but the deal fell through. Just in big news for the Blades. Yeah, it's just nice not to start the news section with takeover news about Derby. So it's good to start with a different club. That's one thing mm. I will say. Absolutely brilliant news. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, Sheffield United are one of those clubs. Uh, I think there's been a sort of a love-hate relationship with the current ownership and the, the supporters. There's a lot of fallout, obviously, with, with Wilder last season and, and transfer strategy. So yeah, not 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 surprised. It's probably a good thing. Hopefully this new owner can take Sheffield United to another level because they are a big, big club. And yeah, under the right ownership, they can they can do some do some damage. I think. I don't think they've been run particularly badly in the time. They haven't. No, like but the they've, they've been very been prudent. I think would be the way to say. Yeah, I think it could have been a lot better at the yeah. same time. I think is the best way of going about it. So it's yeah, it's it's a strange one with the current ownership. But it'd be interesting to see what plans the new owner has got to bring in. Uh, Justin, you were just saying. Good not to start with Derby takeover news. Derby's potential new owner, Chris Kirchner, has accepted a proposed business plan for the club. The American businessman also says he submitted his information for the fit and proper test to the EFL. That's what I'm going to say on the matter. We'll leave that there. Thank you. Steve Bruce will be staying on as West Brom boss for next season. He signed an 18-month contract when he was initially appointed at the Hawthorns, but there was plenty of speculation about whether he'd actually carry on. But after positive talks with the club's board, he's set to stay on. Justin, any thoughts here? I had my reservations when he was appointed and I still have my reservations now. Um, I do think he's a half-decent manager in, in terms of where he is now anyway. He was a lot better years ago. Um, but I think West Brom's issue lies upstairs and also the, the chronic underperformance of individuals, which I don't think is down to Ishmael or Bruce. I know they've got to get the best out of them, but you can't legislate for the amount of chances West Brom have missed this season. So uh, I think the jury's out. Yeah, I'm not really sure on Bruce myself. If West Brom's aim next season is undoubtedly going to be to get promoted, isn't it? Of course, it was a disaster this season, but there's no reason why they can't do it again next season. The recruitment's got to be a lot better. Would I want Steve Bruce in charge when I'm looking to get promoted next season? I'm not too sure. Got to remember when he was in charge of Villa a few seasons ago. Yeah. Didn't really go to plan despite having a ridiculously talented squad. Um, and West Brom's squad is talented despite what the fans will tell you. Um, <laughs> and, but I'm not sure Bruce is the man to get the best out of them. So I'm not convinced, I've got to say, but I'm willing to you know, just give him a go, see how he does. But whether he stays for the whole season... Mm, not sure. The Telegraph says Swansea have sacked sporting director Mark Allen just after eight months in charge. The process to appoint a replacement, a replacement is underway. I'm not sure what's happened there. Back with Sheffield United and striker Ollie McBurney set to miss the rest of the season and possibly the start of next season after a foot injury, which means the ever-mounting injury list at Sheffield United just continues to grow. That brings me very nicely on to, though, Billy Sharp, who signed a new one-year deal to stay at Bramall Lane until the end of next season. Our bill, Justin, still going strong. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite astonishing, really, but um, a testament to his, his, his ability and his yeah, the way he's adapted to his age, I think, would be the best way to say it. Look at Dave Nugent, for example. I'm a big fan of Dave, Dave Nugent. He's my screensaver on my laptop. I love him. Um, but he, he declined of age, whereas Billy Sharp stayed the same. Or like a like a fine wine in a way, but not the finest of wines, otherwise he'd be a Premier League player, I imagine. 
Yeah. Ah, I can see where you're coming from. We'll move on. <laughs> Coventry defender Cameron Ferguson has also signed a new one-year contract extension to keep him at the club until next season as well. Transfer Goss time, Justin. Cardiff boss Steve Morrison has said he would sign Jed Wallace in a heartbeat. The Bluebirds have been linked with the Millwall attacker who's out of contract this summer. Uh, what was it you text me in the week, Justin, regarding this? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, I think I said, oh, I've turned down Margot Robbie. Or something like that, which is exactly the same lines. Jed Wallace, unfortunately, sorry to Cardiff fans, he's not he's not going to go to Cardiff. Um, he's got big clubs waiting for him, I, I imagine. Yes, let's be realistic here. Come on. Yeah, I can't see that one happening. I've really got to. <laughs> the Express and Star says West Brom are interested in John Swift. The Reading midfielder is out of contract this summer. Um, Swift to West Brom, would that work for you? I think so, yeah. I think he would fit the bill quite nicely there. There are they're a team that has missed a Pereira-type player. Uh, Swift isn't a Pereira-type player, but his creative numbers this season will certainly help in a team that does create a lot of chances anyway. So if they create more, you'd imagine law of averages, they might score more. Yeah, and he scores goals as well, doesn't he, as we've exactly. seen this season. Yeah. Luton are reportedly after Stoke goalkeeper Frank Fielding on an emergency loan. That's according to Football Insider and comes after the injury to keeper James Shea. They've got through so many keepers this season. I think they had Alex Palmer on an emergency loan as well, didn't they, from West Brom. And now they're having to do another emergency loan. Crazy. So possibly Frank Fielding in goal for Luton in the playoffs, if the way things are going. (laughs) Uh, That'll be interesting. And finally, Wayne Rooney says the whole Derby squad have told him they want to stay at the club next season. Um, Don't think all of them will, Justin, but as Mm. a Derby fan, that must be pleasant to hear. It's nice, yeah, but let's be realistic. Teams are going to be sniffing around uh, your players, I think Marco Mebioe has been relinked to uh, Crystal Palace. Um, Bielik won't be playing in League One because he's got a World Cup around the corner. That's the same with Michael Helik at Barnsley as well. Um, so yeah, we, 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 as Derby fans, I think everyone's realistic to the thought of being there being a mass exodus. I don't think anyone's um, yeah optimistic about that not happening. Very interested to see who's actually playing at Derby next season from the current squad. Uh, let's go to the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listener three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Will Fulham stay up in the Premier League? Yes or no? I think they will. Yeah, I think Marco Silva's a, a, a good manager. Um, and as I say, as we've said, they only need a few more players to, to make them a good side in the Premier League. I think this is their best chance of staying up. Right now I'm 50-50 because I'll be a lot more sure come August when they've actually done all their transfer business. Uh, 73% of people said no. 27% of people said yes. Out of the most likely playoff sides, who do you think will be the favourite to go up? Forest, Huddersfield, Luton or Sheffield United? They're all very good defensive teams as well, um, which makes this playoffs very open. Um, but I'd edge towards Forrest and Steve Cooper just because of uh, that man Cooper. Yeah, Forrest are clear favourites for me. 75% of people said Forrest, 12% said Huddersfield, 7% said Luton, 6% said Sheffield United. So Forrest, wow. the standout ones there for everyone. And finally, which of these is your favourite type of garden bird? Crow, magpie, pigeon or robin? What? You're getting crows in your garden. Do you not get crows in your garden? No, they're not a garden bird. I'm no Bill Oddie, but a crow is not a garden bird. I see them in my garden every so often. Anyway, what's your answer? (laughs) Uh, I think magpies are pretty cool. You can always fool them with uh, shiny things as well. (laughs) 
Uh, Robin was the runaway leader here. 73% of people voted Robin. 12% said Magpie. 11% said Pigeon. 4% said Crow. So there you go. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Omar Renane from that Millwall podcast and Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shore and View. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and they've all got to work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name the eight championship managers who were sacked first this season and Johnny would say Chris Hewton, that's one down and Omar would say Mick McCarthy, that's another down. But if Justin would say Marco Silva, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So, Justin was heartbroken when Derby were relegated on Easter Monday. They'll be going down to League One for the first time in more than 30 years. But which teams have been relegated more than once from the Championship? There are nine teams in total. One of them is Barnsley, who I was absolutely amazed to find out had only been relegated twice from the Championship prior to this season. Feels like it has happened so many times more than that. So you're looking for the other eight other than Barnsley. So we'll start off with Johnny. Can you name me a team who's been relegated more than once from the Championship since it was rebranded in 2004? Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> uh, they've been relegated twice in 2010 and, of course, last season. So that's one down. Omar, your go? It's a cheap shot, but Millwall, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. 2006 and 2015. So two obvious ones out the way there. Justin, your go. Yeah, Peterborough have done it three times now, I think. Yeah, 2010, 2013, and now in 2022. So you've got three so far, five to go. Johnny, your go again. Uh, I'm going to stay local. I'm going to say Rotherham United. Absolutely. Relegated more times from the Championship than any other side. They're the League One version of Norwich. Four times they've been relegated. Uh, so you're halfway there. Omar, your go. Charlton Athletic. Yes, 2009 and 2020. Brilliant shout. Also looking... Close to home as well for Omar there. <laughs> so you are halfway through, I think. No, you've got five. You've got three left. Justin, your go. Honestly, I don't have a clue. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely stuck. I'm trying to think of League One teams now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. MK Dons don't count, do they? Because they were rebranded. Or do they? Are you saying MK Dons? I, I will, yeah. Well, with the caveat, they were Wimbledon before. MK Dons do not count because I think they were relegated before 2004 as well when they were Wimbledon. So that doesn't count. Justin's out. That means it's down to Johnny and Omar. You've got three remaining. Johnny? Again, staying local, but I'm, I'm questioning myself on this one now. I'm debating it in my own head, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go with my guns. I'm going to say Donny Rovers. 2012 and 2014. Oh, You're absolutely ooh. right. So you've got two left. Omar, it's your go. Um, scrapping at the barrel here. Uh, I'm gonna punt for Burton. I think they might have maybe been once in the championship, but I I'm not sure. That's the I'm kind of scrapping at barrel. Like I said Burton have only been relegated the once, <sighs> so unfortunate, but you were close. Well, I say close, they were relegated once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Omar's out, that means it's down to Johnny with two remaining. Johnny, can you pull it off? Oh, this is difficult. <laughs> Since it was rebranded to the championship. Yes. Oh, so the pressure, the pressure is killing me. <laughs> both in League One right now, if that helps at all. They're both in League One right now. Oh. 
Gonna have to push you. Uh, uh, what division are they in? Uh, oh, Wigan. Yes, Wigan's absolutely correct. Three times, all of them in the last seven years. So you've got one more to go, Johnny. Can you get them? Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, they only just came up that one season. Uh, they're in there for that. I'm struggling now. I don't even know who's in League One. <laughs> I, uh, Wickham. No, Wickham's only the once. Only the once. Gents, the team it. you were looking for were Bolton Wanderers. Oh, cool. 2016 and 2019. So, unfortunately, close but no cigar for you chaps here on Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight this week, which is an unfortunate way for the week to end. But nonetheless, Simon Grayson has come out victorious this week. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about all the midweek games that are coming up. We've got some important games in the grand scheme of things for the championship. So we'll go through all of them and talk about some of the news from the past few days. But a quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Show and View. Thank you for your time today. No problem. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hate you, Simon Grayson. <laughs> <laughs> Omar Renane from That Millwall Podcast. Thank you for your time today. Nice one, chaps. Catch up soon. Speak to you both very soon. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I have been Brian Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.